want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're doing a study through the book of Philippians. It's only four chapters, but it's a, a wonderful epistle. And since with, uh, <clears throat> with the, uh, the holidays and the vacations and everything and different things that have been going on, we've, it's been a few weeks since we've been in it, but we're really focusing on a particular passage. To me, it's one of the most uh, amazing passages in the Bible is Philippians 2. 5 through 11. So why don't you read, we read that together tonight. Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. It took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And what we're going to focus on tonight, hallelujah, is this, this next three verses. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. What a passage. What a uh, in, in the studying I've done, I know I've mentioned it to, the, to you before on Wednesday nights that I understood that this, that little passage that we just read was actually, some believe it was a hymn in the early church, that they set that to music and, and sung that. But um, we haven't counted them up, but there's basically in that passage a sevenfold humiliation of Christ. Now remember, he wasn't humiliated, he humbled himself. And there's a big difference, but there was a sevenfold humiliation of Christ downward. Okay, he's eternally God, and he stepped down from heaven downward, downward in, in every way, and yet he never ceased to be God. We spent, we've spent several weeks on this passage, and it's worth it, but he never ceased to be God, but he took upon him the form of, of a man. He is called the Son of God. He's called the Son of Man. He is both. He was not just a good man in right relationship with God. He was God in the flesh, and the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Amen. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen my Father. And he on and on, he says this, before Abraham was, I am. He said this in his fleshly body on the earth. Amen. He never ceased to be God. At no point did he cease to be divine or the, the second member of the Godhead, never, at no point did he cease to be God. He did become fully man, but not the sinful nature of Adam. That's very key. He couldn't have saved us. He would have needed a Savior himself, which we know is, is ridiculous, even the thought. But he did not take upon him the form of Adam in the nature of Adam. He took upon him the form of man, okay? And, and he lived his life in obedience to his father. He lived his life. The Holy Spirit came upon him and he began his earthly ministry, but he lived his life in perfect obedience, sinless and spotless. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He had to be sinless and spotless in order to do that for you and for me and for the sins of all mankind. Amen. And he did it. And on the cross, he said, it's finished. And the father accepted the offering of his son as being no need for any more offerings to be offered for sin. No more bulls and lambs and goats to be offered 
for that purpose of covering or make atonement for the sins of the world because Jesus satisfied that. And John the Baptist said when he saw him coming to the Jordan River, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away, not a Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So in the first three verses, well, four, five, six, seven, and eight in this passage, it talks about downward, 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 downward. Okay, stepping in. And, and Moses, I said, is such a good example of that. Moses being uh, raised as Pharaoh's daughter, and, many, and, and he, he was a military uh, leader in Egypt. He was an orator, believe it or not. He was, uh, many people believe, next in line. To, for the throne of Egypt, he had that in a worldly sense, and he stepped down from that. He stepped down to become a, a, a shepherd in the desert, but and then he stepped down more to become the shepherd of God's people, in, in a sense. And then God exalted him and lifted him up. Amen. We're still talking about Moses today. It's the same picture, and so. Uh, Sevenfold humiliation and a sevenfold exaltation. And this is what I've been looking forward to talking about these three verses tonight for a while. But in verse 9, after the, the humiliation, remember it's a self-humbling of yourself. That's a whole lot different than you're, you're in a boxing ring or a wrestling match or a football team and another team just puts it to you and humbles you. Okay? That's, that's a whole lot different. We've all been humbled before. But to humble yourself is much more divine. To humble yourself is much more uh, of Christ. Not to go around moping and dragging your, you know, moping like I'm pitiful, but to humble yourself before God and men. And this is what Jesus did. If anybody could have exalted themselves, it would have been the Lord. Okay? But he humbled himself and washed their feet. Don't forget it. He humbled himself. To, he washed Judas's feet. He, you, know, you know what I mean? He washed the disciples' feet. And so we get down to the, after he humbles himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Wherefore? There's two things right here in this verse 9. God has highly exalted him. That means supremely exalted him. God the Father, because. Wherefore? Wherefore? Because he stepped down, stepped down, became obedient unto death. Um, Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. He highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name. Now, I want to read uh, some, some words from this commentary, one of the many that have been studying on this. But the Lord Jesus Christ trusted God in the depths of humiliation and suffering, and God honored him by raising him up from the dead and exalting him to the highest position heaven holds, a seat at the right hand of the majesty on high. If you're wondering where Jesus is now, he's not on a cross. He's not in a, I remember going on my first mission trip to, uh, to Mexico and we went about eight, I'd say about eight hours across the border into uh, a little town called Tula outside of Ciudad Victoria further south than there, and, and I mean, to me, it's pretty far. It's not just like a little border town across the border, and the town had a, a town square. A lot of these towns have a town square, and you, usually at one of the heads of the town square, there's a Catholic church, and the people, whether they're 
very practicing, I would say, Catholics or not, that people just by tradition are mostly, not all, are Catholic. Of course, we're, we're doing evangelistic work and helping uh, the believers down there when we were there. But we had a little free time one of the afternoons, so we're walking around the town square, and we walked into the Catholic church, was, which was open. And in the Catholic church at the front, like up here at the altar, there was a coffin. And in the coffin was Jesus, this little statue of Jesus laying there. And I'm thinking to myself, hallelujah, that that's not really where he is. Amen? And I don't have to picture him as that. He, he came the first time to die, but then three days later he rose again. He's coming again to reign, and he reigns now in the hearts of lives of people that, that surrender to him. But he, if you're looking for Jesus, he's at the right hand of the Father. In Acts chapter 1, while the disciples were looking at him, they watched him go up into the clouds. And the angel said, you men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring up into the sky? This same Jesus that you've watched go is going to come again in like manner as you've seen him go. Okay? And so he is at the right hand of the Father now, just henceforth expecting, the Bible says, until his enemies be made his footstool. And so the Lord has, has exalted him. Through his suffering, Jesus became the author of eternal salvation and the author and finisher of our faith. He humbled himself to the very depths of humility, and God has therefore exalted him to the highest glory heaven affords. And I thought this was inter this is good to point out. The fact that God raised up Jesus from the dead and exalted him to a position he now holds in God's is God's indication that the one sacrifice Jesus offered was the perfect and sufficient sacrifice. Several weeks ago, I preached about that final atonement. I said it was more of an Easter sermon than a Christmas sermon, but it was about the sacrifice and how it was sufficient. And that it was perfect and complete in Christ. For the blood of Jesus offered once for all, forever satisfied God, for the sins of the whole world. It's an amazing thought to think about it. God raised him. The son of God. He raised him with power. According to the spirit of holiness. By the resurrection from the dead. And so it's proof that the father said. Yea and amen. To what his son did. To who he was. And to his ministry. And what he did on the cross. And his sinless life. And his payment for the sins of the world. And so I want you to look at, in your Philippians at verse 9. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. God's way up is first down. I know that this is, if you walk with the Lord and read your Bible, we know this. Amen. We see it. We understand it. Jesus said, therefore, whosoever exalts himself shall be what? Abased. And whosoever humbleth himself shall be exalted. Whosoever. That means whosoever, not just Jesus. Jesus is our pattern, but again, God's way of ascent in his kingdom and his, in his eyes and, and according to his will is first down. And again, it's not somebody else putting us down. People put e each other down all the time. There's nothing necessarily spiritual about that. People rule and lord over other people and groups of people all the time. There's nothing uh, spiritual about that. But to humble yourself is different because it's a choice. It's a choice of the will, and it's Christ-like. The, the Bible says, uh, Peter says, Wherefore, uh, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. So God has to be in the picture. 
not just me and other people. I can humble myself before other people, but God has to be in the picture. I have to be doing it as unto the Lord. Wherefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. 1 Peter 5, 6. And so, uh, self-renunciation, self-renunciation, self-humility, that's God's way up, first down, okay? This is not, as wonderful as, as, as it is knowing Jesus on this earth and fellowshipping together and having the Lord touch us and heal us and fill us with the Holy Ghost and give us his peace and joy, this is not the best it's going to be for us. We're going to have a glorified body one day, and we're going to be in a world, in an earth, in a new heaven and earth that's perfect. And the, the best is still to come for us. Amen. By far, the best is still to come for us. So in this earth, a lot of times, you know, it's kind of like uh, the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus had kind of the lowest of life when he, in, in Luke, I think he's spoken of. And, and then he, he was taken to Abraham's bosom and com- comforted. Amen. Now he's in heaven. But the, we, we're humbled and then we humble ourselves and then God exalts us. And he says, given a name. He's given him a name. And so uh, some, some debate, is that a new name? What, but, but really it kind of answers itself in verse 10. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Now, the Bible does say in Revelation that there's going to be, when Jesus comes back on a white horse, he's got a name written, you know, the, the word of God and faithful and true, and these were names. But there, he also is going to come at that time with a name that nobody knows but himself. So there is some name of the Lord that's not revealed in the scriptures and that's not just given to us, another name of the Lord. But the Lord gave him a name. A name is important to us. It's just like, what do you want to name your kid? You know, it's like, oh, I like this. It sounds kind of cool. Let's name our child that. For a lot of people, uh, or name it from some, for some, your child for some famous person. But names, especially in the Bible, they, they meant something. The names meant something, okay? The Lord changed Peter's name, I mean, Simon's name to Peter. The Lord changed uh, Jacob's name to Israel, and things like that, and Abraham's name to Abram, I mean, Abram's name to Abraham. And so he's given him a name which is above every name. It's above every other name that, that there is. And God attests by giving him this name, not only did he satisfy what, what Christ did on the cross, but also he's attesting right here when he's given him a name that's above every name, God the Father is showing Jesus and another one other example of Jesus being equal with the Father, that his name is above every name. On the earth, he was crowned with thorns. On, and back in heaven, he's crowned with glory and with honor. That's how he is now. He's not laying in a coffin. He's not on a, on a cross hanging in a church somewhere. He's not offered up over and over again in uh, some religious ceremony as though he's dying over and over again. He is crowned with glory and honor, and he's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? And so, let's look at verse 10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Amen? And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. So when it says that at the name of Jesus, another translation, the meaning is actually in the name of Jesus, okay? And so um, in, in, uh, in Acts, when, when Peter and John were going to the, the, passing through the temple gate and saw the man begging for alms, right? The lame man begging for alms. They said, we don't have any silver or gold, but what we have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That was the power and the authority that brought healing, wholeness to his body. It is a name that is above every name. Amen. Not the name of a saint or, or something like that. It's the, he, he, Christ alone has that name that's above every name. And he says it's the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Have you ever really thought about that? The people that we know that uh, may curse God right now or blaspheme God or roll their eyes and think all this Christianity stuff and Jesus is so antiquated and so uh, ridiculous and we're to be pitied because we believe this old superstitious stuff. Every knee shall bow. They're going to hit the ground. Everyone. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Keep your spot there and turn to Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45, 22 and 23. Look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth. Now, if, if this wasn't true, if, the, if all the ends of the earth and individual people, whoever they are, could not look unto the Lord and be saved, this would be an arrogant statement that he's making if he couldn't back it up. But he says, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else, period. I have sworn by myself. You know why? Because there's nobody hired to swear by I've sworn by myself. The word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Every knee's going to bow. And there's no kind of limits around that. It's just every knee is going to bow. Every tongue, not just Israel, every knee's going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. It's not at the name of and this is not uh, to, to be light about any of this, but it's not at the name of Allah, or it's not at the name of Muhammad, or it's not in the name of the U.S. government. It's not at the name of, of any other uh, higher power, whatever you choose to call it kind of thing. It is at the name of Jesus Christ, at the name of Jesus. When, when uh, Peter and John were... Before the council, after having healed that lame man, and, and Peter says, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And he included himself in that, where we, whereby we must be saved. There's not another. And so, and then it says, it's interesting. We're not going to do an in-depth study about it, but who's going to bow of things in heaven? Okay, things in heaven things in earth, things under the earth. 
or every knee is going to bow. There are angelic beings. There are people on the earth. There, there are demons in, in hell under the earth. And every knee is going to bow. And it's going to be to God's glory. One day all will confess that Jesus is Lord. And Lord there is the same Old Testament word that's used in the Old Testament for Jehovah. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus is Lord. That word Lord is Jehovah. Jesus is Jehovah. He is God. And so, again, it's all through the scriptures. You would have to willingly uh, want to, to rewrite the Bible and believe something else to, to convince yourself that Jesus was not God in the flesh. And a lot of religions, it, uh, oftentimes, religions that will say we esteem Jesus and we hold him in a certain regard, it always comes down to what do you say about Jesus? Who was he? It comes down to that. And I mentioned Islam, you know, but you could, you could look at the Mormons even. You could look at Jehovah's Witnesses. You could look at uh, other religions and what do they say about Jesus? Do you believe he is that word that became flesh, that was the eternal God and is the eternal God, right? And, and that every knee is going to bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Jehovah. Jehovah, that word, one of the definitions means owner. So people that are lost one day, and we're going to look more at this in just a moment, are going to bow their knee personally. They're going to behold him. At least one time they'll see him. They'll see him at this time. And they'll bow their knee before him, and they're going to say, you are Lord of all. You are owner of you are Jehovah. You are God. You are. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. They can't point to any injustice on God's part or anything like that because he's long-suffering, not willing that any perish. Amen? He sent his prophets rising up early, word of God sounding out. Creation is declaring his handiwork, even his eternal Godhead is revealed through creation. There's so many ways that God is trying to reach men. Some have more light than others, but I promise you he's trying to reach everyone and nobody will ever say, well, I never had a chance. You had a chance. You had a chance and you forfeited that chance. But that day is going to come. It's going to be an amazing day and a, and a chilling day. I want to read this, or if you have your Bibles, I want to turn there quickly to Acts chapter 2. Verse 36, this is part of Peter's sermon on Pentecost. He says in Acts 2.36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. He is that. He's not only the Christ, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Anointed One. He is Lord and Christ. He is both. Okay, he is both. And he has that name that's above every name. Now, when it says, when the Bible says in Philippians 2 that every knee shall bow, things in heaven, earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, it does not mean that everyone will be saved. I know that you know that, but it's just, we're going to look at it for just a moment. Um, this is not the teaching of ultimate reconciliation. Have you ever heard of that? Ultimate reconciliation is that when the dust settles and it's all over, in the days ahead and God fulfills his times for the 
end times for the, the earth and people and humanity that, that, that when it's all said and done, that everybody's going to be saved. I mean, demons are going to be reconciled. The devil, everybody, everybody that died, people that died without Christ, ultimate reconciliation. There are people that started out preaching the truth that became ultimate reconciliationists. I could name some. But um, this is not what is being taught here. And it's not at all what's being taught. I want you to, I'm going to look at several scriptures, if you would just turn with me. Revelation chapter 9. You know, in order to be saved, a man, now is the time of salvation, the Bible says, right? Call on the Lord while he may be found. The, the, the Bible tells us that, and, and that, that's, that example given in the Bible about the rich man Lazarus that we talked about. The rich man realized too late after he died that he hadn't given his life to the Lord, right? It was too late, and he, he couldn't do a redo. Not only could he not do a redo, and let me go, let me go, but now I see, now I see that God is Lord, and, and I, I rejected him during my lifetime, and now I'm dead. I, I want to redo. Not only could he not redo, he couldn't go back and warn the living that his brothers, that I don't want them to come to this place of torment. He said, no, they've, they've got the same thing that Lazarus had. They have the same messengers of God. They have the prophets, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them, if, if they will. And um, so anyway, but let's look at Revelation 9, verses 20 and 21. And the rest of men, this is not the very end, but this is during the tribulation period. The rest of the men, which were not killed by these plagues, yet what did they not do? They did not repent. You have to repent. Jesus said in Luke 13, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. We have to repent. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached Christ to them, and the people were listening and amazed at the, the tongues that they spoke in and everything, and the power and the authority of these men, the apostles, and they said, men and brethren, what must we do? And the first word out of Peter's mouth was repent and believe the gospel. Repent means there has to be a turning. Repentance has to be turning from one thing to another, turning from my sin and my life of sin and turning to Christ as being both Lord and Christ, okay, Christ and Lord. And so these men during the tribulation period, people are going to be saved during the tribulation. Not everybody, not, I don't know if it's most people, but many people are going to be saved during the tribulation period. But it says, and the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not. Of the works of their hands. Here's some of the works of their hands. During the tribulation period. That they should not worship devils. They're not going to be reconciled to God. When they die this way. They could repent. It's evident from the scripture. They could have repented. Yet they repented not. That they should not worship devils. And idols of gold. And silver and brass. And stone and wood. Which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murderers nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. And that's how that chapter ends. Everybody's not going to be saved. Everybody's not going to be reconciled to God, but every knee is going to bow, and every tongue's going to confess. Every single one. Nobody's going to miss that. 
Nobody's going to miss doing that. And when that's going to happen is going to be specifically at the great white judgment. Again, it does not mean all men will be saved. Subjugation, I like the way that I read this in a book. Subjugation is not reconciliation. Just let it sink in for a second. The fact that they're subject to the Lord and bowing down and, and, and honoring him as God and confessing that he's God, they're subject, subjugation. At that point, they'll be subjugated unto the Lord and subject to the Lord. Subjugation is not reconciliation. That doesn't mean the two estranged parties are brought together. We're brought together and nigh by the blood of the cross, by the blood of Jesus. The Bible says, wherefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's reconciliation. That's not merely subjugation, but reconciliation. Amen. Jesus is, is, uh, said this, and, and he says that of his own mouth, that many will come to him in that day, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord. Matthew, the kingdom of him, verse 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So there's not ultimate reconciliation. Everybody that just says the word Lord, Lord, and they're correct when they say it, does not, is not necessarily going to heaven. But he that does the will of my Father, which is, is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I know that you think I'm, I'm, I'm going on and on about it, but I think it's important because people say all we have to do is confess that Jesus is Lord. But that's one thing. It's while we're living on this earth, when you have a free choice, you can choose Christ or reject Christ. God gives that free choice and that will to men created in his image. He gives us that choice. Once we die, there's no more choice for that. That's why there's the urgency to go out and compel men to come to Christ, to, to do whatever is necessary, basically, almost to bring the gospel to people so that they can believe and can get saved before they die. There's not a redo. There's not a second chance. And so it's at the great white throne judgment where this is going to take place. Um, it's in, there's no future reconciliation promised. Again, there will be individual people saved during the tribulation period. God's going to save surviving Israel when he comes back at the second coming. They're going to look upon him whom they pierced. And, and they're going to wail and mourn for him. They're going to realize that that's our Savior that we crucified. I think they're going to be saved at that time. A nation will be born in a day. And so, but it's not this ultimate reconciliation. And God is going to be glorified through it. They're going to bow and confess that he's Lord, it says, to the glory of God the Father. The fact that men, even lost men, openly acknowledge before all of creation that Jesus is Lord, that is to the glory of God. That is to the glory of God. He's glorified through it. He would much rather them be saved. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, the Bible says. His heart is for Israel to be saved. His heart is for men to be saved. His heart is for everyone that he created 
to give their life to Christ. We're, it's very clear in the scriptures. But he will be glorified through this confession and this bowing at the, in this future moment. God's going to be glorified. Who's going to bow? Atheists are going to bow one day. Anybody in this room know an atheist personally? Or you know one, see one on TV that's a very famous atheist, you know, spouting their atheism around the world and have big followings and so forth. And see, they present themselves as being far superior to, to others. The atheist is going to bow. The mocker is going to bow. The Satanist is going to bow. The Muslim is going to bow. The God-haters are going to bow. The religious uh, lost, that are religious but don't know the Lord, are going to bow. The humanists are going to bow. You know, there's a humanist manifesto. There's at least two copies of it. A humanist manifesto one, and they put, it's like what, what we have is almost like our, our doctrinal statement. Here's what's fundamental to Christianity. We believe Jesus, born of a virgin, so forth. Go, the word of God is infallible, inspired, authoritative word of God. We have our doctrinal statement. Most, com most Christians have a very similar common uh, denominator of what makes us Christians. The humanists have their humanist manifesto. And you can almost go point for point when the Bible says this and, and what we would see in our doctrinal statement and they take the exact opposite position, almost line for line, and ridicule this over here, what we believe. And it goes on further. It's like a manual of how they're going to live and what they're going to do. It's their Bible. It's their rules to live by the humanist. And then they put out a humanist manifesto, too. You can Google it and look it up. You, you would read about one sentence and start pulling out your Bible and your pencil and that's what I do. I, was, I can't get far with it because I'm starting to re rebuke it in my mind and through the scriptures and so forth. But it's, they're going to bow. They're going to bow. They won't have their posse there with them either. They won't have their like-minded people there with them. They're going to stand before the Lord. Them and the Lord, faith, whose eyes are like flame and voice like thunder, right? And faces shining like the brightness of the sun. They're going to bow before him, and nobody's there to help them. They're going to confess. It's really going to be an amazing thing. And one thing that I appreciate, I guess you would say about that, is the power of God to do that. The power of God, that that's really going to happen like that. Everybody's going to. Nobody's going to. Demons that lined themselves with Satan at some time in the past, they're going to bow. Everybody's going to bow. And so a couple more scriptures, and we're going to close. Revelation, if you're still there, look at chapter 5. Somebody's not happy. <laughs> Revelation 5, 11 through 14. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast, and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now, there are men that we honor. There are men we should honor in the Bible, give honor to whom honors do. Moses and, you know, Abraham and Daniel and people like this. 
But that's never said, this is never said about any of them, nor should it be. This is for the Lord alone. He's worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Amen? Forever and ever. And, and all are going to give glory to God. It really is an amazing thing. Who, who else could do that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't give that honor to Nebuchadnezzar, did they? They didn't kill us if you want to. God, we're in God's hands. We've got a higher power. They didn't give that honor to Nebuchadnezzar. He was the man. He was the world power at that time, commanding people to live or die. Everybody did what he, what the king said. Him and others like him over the years. He couldn't get everybody to confess to him. No Caesar has ever, only the Lord. And so it's inescapable. Everybody's going to bow at this last judgment, which we, that's not what we read, but in Revelation chapter 20, okay? In Revelation chapter 20. Even those who are condemned at that moment will recognize Jesus' authority and right to rule. That's what they're going to recognize. It's too late for them to be saved, but they're going to recognize he has the right to rule. That's his and his alone. He has the authority to reign and to rule. Amen? So I'll just close with this. People right now today that you know, living people, they're older and on their, you know, not have much longer to live or young or wherever they are. People, praise God for his mercy, can choose to, to confess Christ now. They can choose to bow before the Lord now. They can choose to give their lives and commit their lives to Christ as Lord now. But if not, one day they will be forced. It's not unrighteous of God. It's not cruel of the Lord because he's given them their life, their whole life. When they can, and he's reaching out. He wants them to be saved when they don't even want to be saved. Okay? But one day they will be forced to acknowledge him as Lord and, and Savior. And, if, and I know our church pretty well, but if there's anybody here tonight that does not know the Lord as Lord and Savior right now, and you're playing church and you're doing church, this is your time. Not, not later tonight and not tomorrow. I had the opportunity today at the, the Parkview Bible study, kind of cranking it back up after the holidays, and uh, a bunch of the kids, a whole junior class was out with COVID. They, they weren't at school, the whole junior class. A lot of the seniors were out, and, and I'm like, what's the deal? You know, where's all the kids? And and coach, he's very supportive in everything. And, and uh, two seniors were hanging around who I don't know. One of them played football, so I hadn't seen him until just now. And uh, they ended up just hanging around. So I said, well, I'm going to talk to you two guys. Here, have all the cookies you want and sit down and listen. And uh, I talked to them uh, about about the Lord. And one, one was um, out of a Catholic background very much listening to what I was saying. I said, so-and-so, do you know the Lord? And uh, he goes, I really don't understand all that. He goes, I went to Catholic school. We had Bible studies, but I don't really get it all. But he wasn't mocking at all. He, he wanted to hear. 
And so I got to tell him the gospel in about, you know, 15 or 20 minutes to share with him and ask him if he wanted to give his life to the Lord. And he said, well, I don't know if I'm ready, which I appreciated that. I don't know if I'm ready right now. I said, well, you can, you know, I'm not going to pray some prayer over you that you're not ready for, but you go home tonight. I said, do you have a Bible? He goes, yeah, I keep it right by my bed. I said, open up the Gospel of John and start reading chapter 1. Just read it. Just you and the Lord by yourself. Ask him. And so pray for this young man. I don't need to give his name, but pray that he's a senior. Uh, he, was, he was very much listening. He was, acted like he had never heard it before. And he, he wasn't quite ready. Because before I share the gospel, I spent about 10 minutes talking about counting the cost. And so kind of sharing some of my testimony, and then I shared it. So I pray he is counting the cost. But I want to pray that he gets saved, but that he could bow before the Lord now. Amen. Bow before the Lord willingly. And Dee, you can come on up. But as she's coming, y'all, I want to close by reading um, a little paragraph from one of the commentaries I've been studying. This is on the whole passage, basically, that we've been studying, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, okay? In matchless grace, the Lord journeyed from glory to Bethlehem, to Gethsemane, to Calvary. God, in return, will honor him with universal homage and the universal acknowledgement of his lordship. Those who have denied his claims will one day admit that they have played the fool and they have greatly erred, and that Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth is indeed the Lord of glory. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. Nothing's going to change it. I always say if nobody believed, if everybody believed in Jesus, praise God, and the whole planet got saved, which the Bible tells us is not, but hallelujah, if nobody believed, he still is Lord. It doesn't change. It doesn't diminish or take from him at all. He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Y'all stand tonight. We're just going to close with that thought. And I, I believe, and I know you do, that he, he deserves our worship and honor, that we would just give him that praise. If we come and bow at the altar, if we stand or, or kneel at our seat where we are and give him the honor that's due his name. And Father, we bless you and praise you, God, and thank you. You're not willing that any parish but that all come to repentance. Your word says you will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Yet we know, God, that all men are not going to be saved. And they're having to trample over the blood of Jesus. They're having to trample over the truth of the gospel. They're having to spurn your grace, God, in order to go to hell. But the men are doing it every day in their pride and their rebellion and arrogancy. And I want to thank you that you saved me. I want to thank you that you saved us, God that if not for the grace of God, that's where we would be. But Lord, help us, God, in this day to to be bold and fervent in our witness for Christ, to tell others they might ridicule, they might mock. Some absolutely will. Some are going to be saved, Lord. And one day all are going to confess and every knee bow that you're Lord, that you have the right to rule. Even those that are going to spend eternity in the lake of fire, are going to forever have that knowledge that Christ is Lord and has the right to rule. God, I thank you, Lord. Would you rule in our hearts 
and in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name.